This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Huddle Up Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman, or should I say perhaps maybe Zach, Zach Kellerman. (laughs) What was that about, Chad Johnson? Are you up to a Cinco now? (laughs) Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's me. That was an interesting case of typo. I never got, you know, my first name usually is spelled incorrectly, but my last name, they don't usually leave, leave out the B <laughs> out of right. it. So, yeah. yeah, I thought I was Max Kellerman for a second. But, yeah, what's up? <laughs> How are you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, in, in that guy's defense, who, uh, you know, he was basically complimenting the, the episode on on social media. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, kind sir, we're not uh, – we're we're just clowning you a little bit because you botched both of our names so badly, and it's not like you know they're that left field as far as names go, spelling, et cetera, whatnot. But but yeah, dude, that's uh, well. Let me just dive into a couple things, and then we'll we'll get to the Super Bowl, we'll get to the Hall of Fame. But you guys, real quick, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. That's how you can get in on our call for the Twitter mailbags, the Twitter editions of the Mile High Mailbag. And it's also a great way to stay engaged with what's happening with the show in real time. Sometimes we put out tweets in, retur- in, in regards to planning content, looking for ideas and topics and things like that. And if you want to have your finger on the pulse of the show, the best and easiest way to do that is to follow on Twitter at HuddleUpPod. And then also just make sure you're leaving a creative review and rating the show wherever you're listening. We want to remind you of that each and every episode because it's so crucial. It's such a foundational move that you can do to support the show and help us grow and reach new listeners. So take care of that. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to 
be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we move on here, Zach. We react. As we told the listeners, Monday's episode was pre-recorded before the Super Bowl, before the news broke of the Hall of Fame. Today, however, the show is reacting in not quite real time, but you know we're recording this Monday evening. You're, you guys are going to be listening to this on Tuesday. The Super Bowl is in the books, and we'll get to the Hall uh, of Fame next, but it was quite the snooze fest. That's, that's a kind of way to put it. That was one of the most boring games I've ever seen, Super Bowl or not. Um, I just I thought it'd be a little more entertaining than that, and that's kind of why I wanted Saints and Chiefs and not that particular matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you know I thought the Patriots would win, but I thought it'd be a closer game. I thought it'd at least be competitive. But what a what a bore, super bore. Yeah, I mean it really was. I mean my thoughts off the top of my head is that Sean McVay seemed to be a little bit starstruck, intimidated by Belichick, overthought things, outcoached at pretty much every turn. If it weren't oh, yeah. for Wade Phillips doing the yeoman's work in terms of keeping Tom Brady from running up the score. That could have been a Super Bowl 48 caliber embarrassment for the LA Rams. I mean, it was still an embarrassment. They only put up that. What it's got to be the lowest scoring. I haven't even looked at this. It's got to be the lowest scoring uh, Super Bowl of all time. And at least the lowest score of a Super Bowl team in a single game. I mean, three yeah. points. I can't ever recall the Broncos scored eight in Super Bowl 48. I can't, between those two scores, I can't think of a time, Zach, in which a Super Bowl scored, a Super Bowl team scored less than than eight, and now it's three. Hmm. I, I rewatched that game earlier this morning, and it, it reminded me a lot of the 2018 Broncos, eerily, with the offensive effort in that game, with Sean McVay, who I and most people consider an offensive genius. It was scripted. There was no creativity. There was no adjustments made to the Patriots. They were just bringing pressure and destroying that O-line. The ground game, they ignored Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson. I don't know what happened there. Wade Phillips had a masterful game plan in that game. I I tip my hat to him. I mean, again, that's why the guy is one of the best minds of all time. The D was good enough to win in that game. But the offense, they left skid marks on the bed. They crapped the bed. It, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, Chad? <laughs> Indeed. And to give Todd Gurley only 11 touches, like, I get it. You know, 10 carries, one reception. I think it was like minus one yards on the reception. I get it that there's this only explanation that makes any sense anyway is that he's banged up, right? So they've there's been more taking to it. it easy. But even if that were true, okay, even if that were true, let's accept the premise just for the sake of conversation. Well, in the NFL, if you're dressed – you got to be, I mean, the expectation is that you are a 100% contributor. Otherwise, don't even don't even dress. I mean, that's right. basically the way operational procedure is standard ops for NFL teams on a week-to-week basis. And so I have to assume, in other words, that Todd Gurley was good to go. And if that's the case, now we got to reject that premise, throw it out the window, and just chalk it up to really bad coaching and just bad mm-hmm. per- personnel decisions from a you know touch or a snap to snap basis on the part of Sean McVay coaching 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 I mean what it, a disappointment it really reminded me a lot like I said of the Broncos I mean McVay in the biggest moment of his life I mean he really wilted and there's thought and Jared Goff to me was the biggest 
eye-opening yeah. performance of that game. Too. Yeah, he really was. I mean, he looked like Trevor Simeon out there. Mm-hmm. And the guy looked scared to throw downfield. He was getting hit a lot. I mean, that Patriots defensive game plan with Brian Flores, the new Dolphins head coach who the Broncos actually interviewed, I got to give the guy credit. I didn't know much about him before the hiring cycle, but reading up on him and watching the game plan he had for the Rams – I mean, he brought on every snap. He really did make Jared Goff crap his pants, as one Patriots player said before the game. Um, But McVay, man, I mean, not to make adjustments and and not to get the running game going, even with C.J. Anderson, who's been effective the entire postseason run. I just think Gurley, there's more to it. Maybe he was mad over Anderson's arrival. Maybe there's something with the coaching. But, yeah, coaching, coaching, coaching. I mean, you don't make adjustments and you don't counter the game plan that the opponent has in the biggest game of your life. McVay or not, I mean, that's bad. It's inexcusable. There's only one explanation for Jared Goff performing so badly in the biggest game in the on the biggest stage. It's those nine-inch hands, dude. That's got to be the only explanation. <laughs> Small hands. No, but yeah. really, he, uh, he looked like an average quarterback. He didn't look like the talented franchise player that he's proven himself to be the last two years. And it's not, you know, hopefully it's the type of scenario that he learns from and can grow from, but it's not encouraging. I mean, if you're a Rams fan, you got to be a – it almost felt like here's who the real guy is. This is a guy who the last two years has kind of been living off the sizzle and the X's and O's acumen of his head coach. And then in the biggest moment when his head coach was actually kind of not pulling his own weight, so to speak, you needed the quarterback to be the difference maker in that equation, Mm -hmm. kind of make up for that. And Goff just was not up to the test. I think, you know, and I got up for some reason. I've been getting a lot of irritating Patriots questions on Twitter today, and someone <laughs> someone asked me, you know, why do NFL teams get so intimidated by the Patriots? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Some teams do. There's no doubt about it. Peyton Manning, the Denver Broncos, have never been one of those teams for whatever it's worth that have kowtowed emotionally to the the New England Patriots. But if you think about it, Zach, I mean. However many, what is it now, eight or nine in a row that they went to the AFC championship game, and now nine Super Bowls they've appeared in together, and now six victories. If it weren't for Peyton Manning, imagine how many rings Tom Brady would have at this point. They'd be you close know? to work, working on two hands. You I mean, know, it's, it's crazy. He was the last vestige, Manning, of keeping the Patriots at bay. I mean, three years now, Peyton Manning has hung up his cleats. All three years, the Patriots have had their run in the AFC and been to the playoffs. So the Broncos, you know, they're probably, even though they're in the basement right now, they've made some coaching changes. They are probably the best bet in terms of getting back up there, having the juju, having the wherewithal to contend on an emotional level, on a even a physical level, on a, you know what, we're, we're not intimidated by you, Bill. We're not intimidated by you, Tom, and throw down. Because even before Peyton Manning came to Denver, Brady had a, not good winning record in Denver. It's, they've just been one of the few teams in the AFC that have kind of been able to keep the, the Patriots in check. They delivered Tom Brady his first ever playoff loss back in 2005. Uh, or excuse me, yeah, 2005. So anyway, it's it's hard to fathom really what exactly went wrong. But I think, Zach, as it relates to Goff, remember that critical moment during the Super Bowl media week when Tom Brady's on the stage and he's asked, you know, what advice do you give to Jared Goff? And Goff's sitting right next to him. He's, I'm not going to give him any advice. And hmm. it made for a phenomenal meme and it made for just a great, you know, topic of conversation. But I think he kind of got into Goff's head, dude. 
I mean, there was also that report that Goff was throwing up during the week in meetings or whatever. I believe it was Gurley who said that, and that just shows that it's a young kid. Yeah, I hadn't heard it either. I heard it today, actually. I, uh, one of my uh, friends told me. It was crazy that that he really – I thought he was he was that cool, calm, collected Cali kid. And you have to wonder now, the, the Rams better hope that Jared Goff did not peak already, that he'll never get back there, and that this Super Bowl performance, how bad it was, doesn't psychologically ruin him. Because your point about the Patriots – and why teams just crap their pants against the Patriots. It is something of a of a, a scientific, mystifying thing in the NFL. And growing up, I realized it. And covering the NFL, I realized it. It's because Bill Belichick is so on point for 60 minutes. He does not make a mistake. And he will cut any corner to exploit you and help win a game, either legally or illegally, as he's shown. <laughs> and if you're not on top of your game, if you make one mistake, he's going to beat you. And it's a psychological thing. I mean, going up against the Patriots, that's the dynasty of all dynasties. They have two dynasties now under Bill Belichick. So when you're facing them, it's really a psychological thing, thinking, how am I going to take down Goliath? How am I going to topple him? And it's one false move. And sometimes you get inside your own head. You start overthinking and you start getting tight and you don't play loose. And that's why teams always struggle to beat them. The Patriots are always disciplined. They're always on point. They're rarely penalized really making mistakes and that a young team like the rams with sean mcveigh and jared goff they just were not ready to take down that monster yet and uh just at the patriots you know love them or hate them love brady hate brady love belichick hate belichick at this point you just have to love and appreciate as an nfl fan and marvel at what they're doing it's really phenomenal i'm just sick of them i mean I, it, it is yeah it's it's a little annoying but I, as an nfl fan i mean the super bowls they've been to and the fact that they were counted out, and this is probably one of the worst Patriot squads in recent years, and they just cruised through another Lombardi trophy. I mean, let's let's talk about that trope because I'm of the opinion that that was completely manufactured by Tom Brady to develop a kind of uh, emotional edge. Us who against the ever, world. Who was ever sleeping on the Patriots, the defending AFC champions? I mean, I don't. I never was. No, anyone I know that pays attention to football. And I'm not just talking about fellow analysts and colleagues. I'm talking about any football fan who knows anything about football wasn't counting out Tom Brady, this whole we're still here thing and the world's – yeah, the world's against you. That's true. People are sick of the Patriots. There's a reason why Super Bowl 53 was the worst-rated Super Bowl television ratings in 10 years. People are tired of the Patriots. There's nothing exciting. There's nothing interesting about it. This idea that you know somehow they've been counted out – I mean, I think people found that obscene and repugnant. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You're the all-time, I mean, you're the dynasty of all dynasties, and there will never be one like it. And, you, and sure, you tip your cap to them and all that stuff, of course. I mean, they are the the pinnacle of NFL uh, championship football. I mean, that's that. it'll probably never be repeated in the history of the game. It probably won't, and we can we can acknowledge that. No one ever said, you know what, this is the year. This is the year Tom Brady's going to fall off a cliff. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think Brady will probably, I mean, all this stuff he's doing on the side with his trainer, the hydration stuff, the TB12, whatever, like all these things, he's finding a way to cheat Father Time. And I think when he finally hangs it up and retires, it'll be on his own, own terms. Peyton Manning declined the way he did because of the degeneration of effects of those four neck surgeries Brady's never had anything like that. He had the one knee that mm. one year. And so I, I'm of the opinion that he's not going to retire, you guys, and this might depress you a little bit. This is why the <laughs> Broncos need to get their act together. Someone needs to check this team. He's not going to retire. 
until he just feels like it or his kids are just begging him to stop playing football or his wife or something like that. I just don't see it happening, Zach. I, I agree with you, Chad, in that this, it definitely was manufactured. It definitely was an us-against-the-world us mentality they adopted because all it takes is one hot take. All it takes is one headline yeah. that they have to read that they used as bulletin board material, and that did come out this season because Brady wasn't the Tom Brady of the past. I definitely think whether TB12 or not, whether he admit, wants to admit it or not, he's not the same passer as he was 10 years ago. I mean, you can't expect that at his age, but he's still good enough. He's still Tom Brady, and as long as he's Tom Brady and breathing— um, the, the Patriots will be competitive. But, you know, I agree with you also in the sense that it is boring. You want to see another team win. And I think if the Saints were in that game, they would have I had mean, a better chance of yeah, winning. Better coach team, better better quarterback, better scheme. But I also think, like, if you don't want to – you don't like it, stop them. Beat them. You know, find a way to beat them. Do yeah. something about it. Play disciplined football. Don't crap your pants. Come out aggressive. Come out like the Broncos did with Wade Phillips. That's how you beat Brady. And until teams learn that, you're going to keep seeing the same result. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Someone's got to come to, you know, step up to the plate, as you said, and beat him. But it really has become obscene. It's like that phenomenal NFL 100 commercial for the Super Bowl, which I think was obviously the best. Of the, By of far, the, far and away. You know, he, it's funny. You know, it's cool. He's talking to Baker Mayfield. He'll hold my ring so he can get in on the action. <laughs> he drops five rings, one off each finger. And now he's got six, right? He's going on to two hands now. But it's like, at what point do you need, really need more, Tom? Like, no quarterback is probably ever going to touch that. I mean, it was one thing. You had guys like Montana. You had Bradshaw that had four rings, and you think, oh, man, that's untouchable. You're, no one's ever going to get four rings. Well, Brady finally got it, and then he beat it, and then he had five. Now he has six. It's kind of like the idea of if Peyton Manning just kept playing and threw 60 touchdowns, and the next time he throws 65, he's just going to keep going until <laughs> he hits 100. It's like at a, at a certain point it becomes obscene, and I think it actually takes away a little bit from this idea. I'll use the, the T word again, this trope idea that Brady is this, you know, unassailable competitor of the highest magnitude and, you know, the sportsman, sportsman, so to speak. At a certain point, dude, you got to realize, okay, you're the best of all time. No one's ever going to touch your – your six rings, hang them up. Go out as a with some dignity in that sense, recognizing and you and from that point you'll get people clapping their hands. But to just keep going, I'm going to go until I'm 45. To me, it's be it's reaching this point where it yeah sure it irritates me, but it almost has become an obscene, repugnant idea to me. I get what you're saying, but the the Brady who wants to be a showman that was Brady of the last decade. He doesn't care anymore. I mean, he's a kind of an a hole now. He he knows that he's the best ever, and he knows he doesn't care who says what. He knows he's going to go down as the greatest of all time, and he's going to continue playing until he cannot play anymore. I do think though, and there's some truth to what you're saying that it would cheapen his his legacy if he just hung around like Brett Favre for a couple more years and uh, you know maybe won a couple more Super Bowls. Right. But it's it's you know if he's still willing to play. If he wants to play, and the team, the league still can't beat him. I mean, that is his right, and it's he's still yeah. Tom Brady. So, I just um, I feel like if you want to beat him, you got to stop him. And the Broncos stopped him. They have that blueprint, and no other team, it seems, can replicate that. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears and talk about the Hall of Fame as it relates to your Denver Broncos, who had a few guys in the running. Four, if you count Ty Law, five. Uh, for the for the Hall of Fame, obviously, no one really counts Ty Law. Even even the Broncos don't really count Ty Law. <laughs> but uh, you had Pat Bowen, of course, as a contributor. You had Champ Bailey as a first ballot. 
John Lynch, and then, of course, Steve Atwater. And on the last episode that predated the announcement, we talked about uh, Steve Atwater. And, and you know, we hedged our bet. We, and even you said, Zach, you know, if he doesn't get in this year, I like his odds of next year. Well, he didn't get yeah. in, right? He doesn't get in. Ty Law, this shows the East Coast bias because Ty Law gets in over a guy like Steve Atwater who is significantly more accomplished on both an individual level you, you know, maybe from a championship level, I I'm, I think Ty Law only got two rings with the Patriots, but I could be wrong on that. So I'll, at that level, they're tied. I mean, he had 11 years in the league, eight Pro Bowls, former first-round pick. I mean, he's everything that the Hall of Fame hallows. You know, he's, he's, he's what they made the Hall of Fame for. And if the whole idea, Zach, is that the way I had – this is the way it was explained to me once by a guy who's been involved in the voting process – is that could you tell the story of the game? Could you tell the story of the NFL without mentioning that player? And if so, he probably doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think you could. Now, I'm taking orange-colored glasses off. I don't think if you're telling a nuanced, comprehensive story of the NFL and you get to the period from 1989 through 1999, you could not tell the story of the NFL without mentioning Steve Atwater at some point. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I agree that he, I think next year, because he was he finished in the top 10 in votes, I think next year he's got a really good chance of getting in. But in the meantime, Zach, I guess we just, you know, we, we accept the wins that, that, that we got in terms of Pat Bowen getting in and, of course, Champ Bailey getting in on the first ballot, which is just phenomenal. Uh, hopefully Atwater next year has a better presenter for the Hall of Fame because, my God, I mean, yeah. of all the things you could say about the guy to come out with – we talked about that in the last episode. We're not going to really you know, harp on that too much, but he deserved to get in for sure. And I'm just glad that Law didn't get in over Champ Bailey. I'm glad they got in together. You know, they weren't – he wasn't snubbed for Ty Law because that would have been a lot worse. Um, but – um, Bowen was always a shoo-in. That was just it needed to take time, place years. Yeah. It was needed to play years ago. I mean, it was years in the making. It was almost anticlimactic, but very proud moment for his family and for you know Mr. B himself. Uh, great for the Broncos and Champ. I mean, he, he's a legend. I'm glad he's going in as a Bronco, not a Redskin. That trade that worked out in the Broncos' favor. And uh, yeah, Atwater, there's enough momentum. I feel like, as you said, finishing where he finished in the voting process, mm-hmm. that he's obviously thought of very highly in league circles. And you know, he changed the game. And we talked about that in the last podcast. He changed the way the safety position is played in the NFL. And I think he will get in in 2020. I- I'm pretty confident in saying that. Here's to hoping, but Broncos country, now you've got, what is it, I think seven, seven bona fide Broncos in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, the one last thing I want to touch on before we take a quick break and then come back to our other subjects that we want to get to tonight is, and I mentioned this on Twitter, but, you know, there's the video of, video of David Baker knocking on the door. And when he, you know, he says the congratulations and all that, and you hear the family screaming in the background and clapping and all that, and it's a great mm-hmm. moment. But I love it when he suddenly kind of changes tonality, David Baker, and he speaks with that reverential tone about welcoming that individual to the Hall of Fame. And you can just tell that player, that's when kind of reality hits a little bit. Their eyes glaze a little bit, like maybe they're a little verklempt. They're kind of holding back a little bit. I love that tonality when he starts talking about welcome to the Hall of Fame. And you, he gets this reverential note in his voice. And I, myself, I even went back and watched the uh, – I saw a clip, I should say. I, went, I didn't seek it out, but I was scrolling through my Twitter timeline and saw a retweet of when he knocked on Ray Lewis's door. And the spiel he goes through welcoming to the Hall as one of the greatest players to ever play the game, blah, 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 blah. I got a little. I get a little verklempt myself because I'm such a football nerd, dude. 
Right. It's it's football's family. You know, it, it really brings everyone together. You know, players, former players, fans, everyone. Um, it, it's a great – I love watching the door-knocking videos. The, the Champ Bailey one's actually on Twitter now. And just – he opens the door, and I love thinking right beforehand when he hears that knock, when he's waiting for it and he hears that moment right then that he knows he's in. I mean, I can only imagine to get into the Hall of Fame after everything he worked for in his life. It's – um. Definitely a, a proud moment, football fan or not, just seeing a player or a person who achieved so much in his life finally get his, his due. Uh, it's great. So I love seeing it for sure. Yeah. Hats off to him. Hats off to Pat. So good news. And we'll see. I mean, you made a report that uh, published on Monday on the website. You can go read it, you guys, milehell.com, that the Broncos could end up in the Hall of Fame game and end up having five yes. preseason matches because – they're sending two guys to the hall this year. So it kind of makes sense for them to play, even though personally I don't like the idea. It's just one extra game for, you know, the risk players getting injured. But at the same time, you're honoring your owner who's getting enshrined. You're honoring Champ Bailey on his first ballot. So, I mean, there could be worse things, but that's something to keep in mind too. It's down to the Broncos reportedly and also the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and Atlanta Falcons. Both those teams have players who were inducted. Um, but the Broncos stand, I think, the best chance. And Joe Ellis thinks he doesn't have to request it. He thinks they're going to get it. And, you know, players don't play. The starters maybe for more than a series in that game. But it's just a ceremonial thing. And I, it would be nice for the Broncos to be in it, um, welcoming Mr. B in the Hall of Fame and Champ Bailey. So I don't really have a feeling either way. But it, it does look like they're going to get that game uh, in August to open the preseason. Yeah, so... Well, we'll take a uh, quick break here. When we come back on the other side, we are going to touch on a couple of quick tidbits, some buzz that has emerged on two of the uh, higher-ranked quarterbacks in the 2019 NFL Draft class. And then we'll take a few questions from the Twitter version of the Mile High Mailbag. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so, Zach, let's touch on some of the buzz that has emerged. We found this earlier on Roto World on, one, Kyler Murray. We'll touch on him first, then we'll get to Drew Locke. Now, Bleacher Report, Matt Miller, he says that the buzz from NFL scouts, now, of course, we're talking about this just a day removed in terms of publishing the episode from when both Zach and I basically went on the record with how bad it's been, especially on Friday with Kyler Murray going on the Dan Patrick show and not even being willing to acknowledge or, or commit to that he's going to even be at the NFL Combine, that as a Broncos organization, you got to take him off the board. In terms of first-round consideration, he's got to go off the board. Now, we're not changing our tune on that with what's about to be said, but it does add nuance to the conversation, and it does help build more of the picture in terms of what is really taking place within the NFL and their view of one Kyler Murray. So here's what it said that, quote, Murray is the player, this is from Matt Miller, that NFL scouts continue to be the most excited about. And as a result, uh, Miller mocked him to the top ten. He went number seven in Miller's mock to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, he compares him to Russell Wilson. He argues that the Jags can't afford to pass up on the next Russell Wilson, who can, etc. 
And then he goes on to say here on the Roto Report uh, that some will be scared of Murray's height, but it just takes one team to make the splash move. And apparently there are more than a few teams on board as it relates to Kyler Murray. Of course, none of this can happen until Murray goes all in on football over his MLB career. So that adds a little bit of a new complexion to to the NFL draft as it relates to Kyler Murray. The idea that he is, according to Matt Miller, who's extremely plugged in around NFL scouting circles, that he has the most buzz among any quarterback in this class, and certainly as it relates to the report, Zach, from any quarterback he's heard in a long time pre-draft. Listen, I respect the hell out of Miller's draft analysis and what he's gleaned from his sources, but none of this moves the needle for me in terms of how I feel about Kyler Murray. He's not the right quarterback for the Broncos, and the NFL should be wary of how he's handled himself and where his true intentions lie. I just think I I trust my eyeballs and I trust my ears, and I know what I saw and what I heard in that interview, and it's a guy who doesn't love the NFL. He doesn't love football. If he did, he would commit to the game. And I think he's leveraging one against the other. So there's going to be buzz. I mean, a, a dual sport athlete who's um, mysteriously up in the air, that's always going to draw buzz. That doesn't surprise me. He's also very talented. It just, to me, and this is my opinion, it doesn't change, to me, his biggest flaw and his biggest red flag and his biggest drawback. And that that he can't overcome. To you me, can't a, learn. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chad. Oh, you're good. Well, I was just going to say, to me, it's almost like a move made by the NFL preemptively to try and entice him and, and pull him out onto the stage to fully commit to the NFL process almost. Like, like Miller's being worked as a source almost to get this out into the blogosphere, to get this into the newspapers, to get this into the headlines that, hey, Kyler, guess what? The NFL is excited about you. Everyone's just waiting for you to absolutely say you're committed to football and then your life's going to change, you know? But like Eric talked about Trickle on the episode on Monday – you know, basically what one of the leverage points Kyler is trying to make throughout this process is, look, I need to go in the top 15 before I reach the point of diminishing returns compared to the MLB. After pick 15, he starts losing money compared to the contract the Oakland A's offered him mm-hmm. as a first-round pick there. So another interesting thing that factors into Kyler Murray here is this idea, and if you go back, hopefully all of you went and watched that video that's on both Zach and I's Twitter timeline of that Uh, interaction between Kyler Murray and Dan Patrick in which you can hear his dad off camera kind of uh, grooming him on what to say and what basically what not to say. The whole point was he wasn't saying anything. But here's an interesting thing also from a Roto World report that says one NFL source compared Oklahoma's QB Kyler Murray, his father, to LeVar Ball in regards to his management over Mm. his son's professional career. It says here, Bleacher Report asked multiple NFL insiders about opinions on Murray's future. Some believed he'd be an NFL first-rounder. One believed he's trying to get more money from the A's. And then there's this LeVar Ball comparison that came from left field or center field in Murray's case. The insider argued that Murray's father has been poorly managing Murray instead of hiring an NFL agent, leading to some PR disasters like on Friday. The notable one was last week's Dan Patrick interview, et cetera, et cetera, where he was literally silent at times, letting his father answer questions directed at Kyler from the audience. And then it says here, while odd, Murray is still a day one candidate if he 100% commits to the NFL, but an NFL agent would help. First and foremost, Zach, I mean, the whole father thing, it's whatever. But first and foremost, you have to telegraph to the NFL that you're committed to football. 
Uh, that's my entire point. And and if that's even true, if a smidge of that is true, can you imagine LeVar Ball and Vic Fangio hanging out? I mean, that's <laughs> that's oil and water. That's not going to happen. That's not what the Broncos need. They don't need this this circus. They need a stability right now more than anything. And even if that means waiting or taking another quarterback prospect, Kyler Murray just brings too much baggage from an off-the-field standpoint. It is a good uh, point that you brought up, though, Chad, about maybe there's being agents being used as a Mike Liss, a mouthpiece right now. It's, it's, it's draft right. seasons. A lot of speculation being out there right now a lot of agent driven and representative and and family driven speculation but if even that's true if, if it's like a Laval a Lavar ball why would you want that near the Broncos right now that's the last thing they, they need yep now the other topic that's come out of Roto World well really it comes from NFL draft analyst Tony Pauline who is also the guy that basically sparked the whole Joe Flacco thing at the East West Shrine game connecting him to the Broncos it says here that everything that draft analyst Tony Pauline has heard since the East-West Shrine game has the Denver Broncos selecting Missouri QB Drew Locke. It says here the Broncos, of course, hold the 10th overall pick, and the organization doesn't seem sold on Case Keenum, who is just a bridge quarterback. That puts John Elway and company right in the middle of the 2019 QB class, but it appears that they would need to trade up to select Dwayne Haskins. However, we aren't even sure that the Broncos have Haskins over Locke, who's six foot four, two thirty-three, with report after report linking the Missouri quarterback to Denver. It's weird to see this amount of smoke this early into draft season, but Locke checks the boxes that Elway loves in a quarterback prospect, the large frame and the big arm. So I don't think there's any I don't really think Zach this is adding anything new to the conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all kind of know that uh, John Elway, and again, I'm of the opinion this is not smokescreen stuff. Like I referenced, I think, a couple episodes back, Cecil Lammy says that January is the time when really the most accurate information comes out. It's not really till Combine and beyond that the smoke signals really start to fly. So I think this is, this Elway lock love affair is a sincere trope. It's real. It's It's happening. It's just a matter, Zach, of what would Elway be willing to give up? How would he be willing to maneuver in order to secure Locke in the first round. Have hashtag draft season. I mean, that's what you're going to hear about now. All these rumors and these reports coming out. We just heard last week that Elway was smitten by Drew Locke. Now he's going to draft him. We know that on February 4th when the draft's, you know, over two months away. I Maybe that's true that most accurate information comes out. But it, to me, it's a little premature. I agree with what Roto World said about that. It's a little too early. But yeah, whether smoke, there's fire. Obviously, Elway hasn't even hid or he's not trying to hide his interest in Drew Locke. He will be a target at number 10. And like you nailed it, Chad, the only question now becomes if they want him, are they willing to mortgage the future for him? Are they willing to give up a premium draft capital and or players to get this guy? That's the only question left to answer. Yep. And I remain, I mean, again, the closer we get to the draft, the more I have clarity on this topic, which is the Broncos have to get a franchise quarterback out of this class. And again, if it's Locke, fine. If it's Haskins, fine. But you got to maneuver and get something. And and just like the last few drafts have proven, dating back 2017, 2016, you know, you look at the trades Chicago made, you look at the trades that the Eagles made, the Rams, the Chiefs, the Texans, they all got their franchise guy. And so that's what it's going to take, John L.A. I mean, 10 at at the good news is, and this is why I remain adamant that in terms of the stars aligning, the Broncos can't afford to wait till next year because at pick 10, Zach, you're within a more feasible <clears throat> striking distance. So meaning that the cost to move up because you're that much closer 
is going to be a little bit more manageable than if you were picking in the middle of the first round or you're picking at the end of the first round to try and catapult up and get into the top five, for example, is going to take an arm and a leg. And even though jumping from, say, pick 10 to pick two, uh, just as an example, it's going to cost something. You're probably going to have to give up, obviously, uh, you know, trade your first round pick. You're going to have to give up probably two twos and maybe a three. There's a chance you might have to give up your first round pick next year. But I think because of, like we've talked about on the podcast before, that relationship that exists with the Niners, I think Elway, because of the striking distance, the value is not that far offsetting. If you're the Niners, you might be able to get away with a trade to get to pick two from 10 where you're giving up a couple of second rounders, maybe a couple of third rounders, staving off having to give up next year's first rounder to get your guy. I I still can't say that I'm on board with trading up from 10 to 2 to get Drew Locke. Even if the Broncos don't have to give up a first rounder or an additional first rounder, I, I still don't know if I would surrender second and third round picks. I just don't know in this quarterback draft. I will say, though, in a roundabout way, I feel like the Broncos are in a good position because there's no can't-miss prospect. I mean, maybe Dwayne Haskins is the best one, but there's no can't-miss guy. So at number 10, they're pretty much— in a good position to have one of those guys land in their laps. And if they don't, they can get a guy in the middle rounds. Maybe Daniel Jones falls. Maybe like a guy like Ripien or Jared Stidham. Or maybe they want to wait. We don't know what their what their directive is just yet, but I feel like they're in a good position not having to press things. And that's why I don't think they should mortgage all those second and third round picks. They can turn into starters too. I mean, not every player has to be a first round pick. You get a lot of talent in the other round. So in my opinion, maybe ask me after the combine, I'll have a more clear yeah. outlook of where I see Drew Locke. But I just don't know if I go from 10 to 2 for him uh, right this moment. I just, you know, and I'm not I'm not 100% sold on which quarterback it is for me personally yet. Right. But I just, I have this nagging gut feeling that this is when the Broncos have to strike. It's now, not just because of the need, not just because obviously they, they can basically go no further than pushing for wild card with Case Keenum, even with the great coaching that's going to come from Fangio and company. You know, you need that next piece, but because of where they're at, they're at pick 10 again. I mean, how often are they going to finish a losing season? I don't see him finishing with a losing season. I don't see him picking in the top 10 again next year, even if the roster changed not one whit from what it is today. That's a good point. I just think now's the time. But, you know, this is a conversation we're going to continue to gnaw at and chew on throughout the offseason as we get closer to draft day. So we'll uh, we'll circle back, and, and we just wanted to kind of feed you guys what we've heard through Roto World, some of the other buzz we've picked up along the way. But we'll take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to take a dive into a Twitter version of the Mile High Mailbag. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, you guys, it is that time of the week where Zach and I open up the Twitter mailbag, Mile High version, because we are your football priests. We're here to offer you that absolution and answers to your Burning Broncos questions. Zach, I know you got a few in the hopper. I'm going to serve up one here real quick from our boy Jedi Joshua 58 His question, Zach, is if we don't get a quarterback at 10, what would you like to see us do? Trade back, maybe even get Eric Dungy later or Rippin'? I love Dungy for whatever it's worth. Eric Trickle turned me on to him. Go watch some tape if you haven't. Check out Dungy, his games against Clemson the last two years. The dude's a stud. I don't know why. I concur with Trickle. I don't know why Dungy is <laughs> not getting more love than he is in the pre-draft scouting process. But uh, your answer for Jedi Joshua. 
That's good. Let Dungy's stock remain neutral. Let him fall to the Broncos in the middle round. That's good. But yeah, I, I would not trade back in this draft. I would stay put. Or if they like a guy, I, I'd consider moving up a couple spots. I Like I just said, I'm, I'm a little unsure if I go from 10 to 2 for Drew Locke. But at number 10, you're guaranteed to get a blue chip prospect. Great point you made about the Broncos not being in the spot because they've had two top 10 picks now two years in a row. How often has that happened? Mm -hmm. And now with the new coaching staff, yeah, I I agree with you. I don't see it happening. So uh, if they don't go quarterback at number 10, they can go corner, they can go uh, off-ball linebacker, defensive lineman, safety, um, or they can take a QB in the middle rounds like we just mentioned, Ripien, Stidham, or Dungy. So that's what I think they'll do. Here's one from Tim Wentz. There's almost too much fire in the lock to Denver. No? Any chance this is just a smokescreen? We touched on this a little bit, but what is your gut telling you, Zach? My gut tells me it's not a smokescreen. And like the Roto World Report said, Locke really does check every box that Elway has. And as a quarterback, he fits what Elway loves, and that's himself. He loves a quarterback who resembles himself. So um, I don't think it's smoke. I think there's a lot of fire to it. And like we said, it's all going to come down to how much do they love Drew, Drew Locke, not if they love Drew Locke. Exactly. One more from me, and then whatever you got from the mailbag today, Zach. Here's one from Jennifer Pearson, great listener of the show. Do you think the Broncos should re-sign Domita Pecco, Zach? Oh, that was a question I was going to ask. Oh, okay. Um, no, that's good, though. I, I fully, fully, fully am on board with the Broncos bringing it back. To me, it should be a no-brainer. He's a little bit older, but he's still a very good run stuffer. Um, he would come fairly cheap. He wouldn't break the bank. Um, very team-first player, great leader for the Broncos. No-brainer, bring him back. I'll let him stuff the run for Vic Fangio. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I think his first year in Denver, 2017, he played at a Pro Bowl level. He wasn't as good in 2018. I'm actually neutral on this if the Broncos could get him back on a team-friendly one-year deal and just you know come in be a uh, you know be a contributor maybe be a starter but kind of be a figurehead to show some young guys the way maybe hold the place for a high uh, you know a top three round draft pick to come in play nose tackle you're showing them the ropes as long as you could get Domitav Peckle back on a team-friendly deal I'm talking I don't want to pay Domitav Peckle any more than three million dollars a year if you can get him back two years, six million bucks, okay. Anything less than that, for me, no-brainer. But anything more than that, I think you reach the point of diminishing returns because he wasn't that good in my book in 2018. I think he took some steps back. You know, not everyone is Tom Brady that can fend off Father Time with a freaking laser gun. You know, most most NFL guys, especially the trenchmen, who are at the point of attack, taking impact after impact after impact. You know, Father Time wears them quick, and when it happens, it happens quick. And I honestly saw some of that from Pecco this year, though I'm not saying he's washed up completely. I think he's on the brink, and I'll honestly be surprised, Zach, if the Broncos do end up bringing him back. But if it's team-friendly, I'm, I'm for it. Yeah, I wouldn't I agree. I wouldn't break the bank for the guy. Obviously, he's older. He's had some injuries. I wouldn't break the bank, but you know, true run stuffers are hard to find. True nose tackles. I just love his leadership and and his fiery yeah. attitude he brings to the defense, and and it's just um just a good locker room presence. And sometimes you need those guys, especially when you have a new coaching staff, just to ease the transition. So I'm a big Peco fan. Now here's one more, and this isn't exactly a mailbag question, but it kind of came up right after on Twitter a conversation I was roped into. I think it might have been started by Eric Blackman. Maybe Miss Christie 78 was involved in this. But it was this idea that the the NFL should realign divisions, move teams around, especially in the AFC North and AFC East, because the, the Patriots' road to the Super Bowl has been so easy. I mean, that's the one thing that people miss out throughout this entire let's crown, let's bow down, let's, you know, completely uh, – 
just shower the Patriots with with compliment after compliment. Guess what? They've been in what has consistently been the worst division in the NFL dating back to 2001. They've won the division. The only year they didn't win the division was 08 when Brady went down with the knee injury. I mean, it's crap. It's been a crap division. Mangini gave him a little bit of a run for a minute, but it wasn't. It was basically fool's gold. Rex Ryan gave him a little bit of a run there for two years with Sanchez, where he got the Jets to the AFC Championship game two years in a row. But other than that, Zach, I mean, I think Pennington had one wild card year. That was with Mangini, though. So I don't think that the you should. I mean, I think that should be factored into your evaluation on the Patriots. And so getting back to this idea. Should the NFL, because you think about here's putting on the tinfoil hat, Zach, for a minute, and then we're going to get out of here. But just for a minute, this idea that, you know, the NFL's a $12 billion nut, and they a big part of that nut is the money they make on their TV deals, okay, their network deals. And when you have a Super Bowl that has the greatest quarterback of all time in it and the hottest young team or one of the hottest young teams in the NFL, and it gets ratings, the worst ratings in 10 years, the tinfoil hat theory is that the the NFL would want to shake something up in order to, you know, turn the ship around from from a ratings perspective. And if it meant Zach putting the Patriots into a new division shakeup, where maybe they're competing with the Colts every year, or you know, the from what I can remember, the Colts used to be in the AFC East. East, yeah. So you know. That idea, what would your thoughts be on the NFL shaking up? Because the Broncos are in the AFC West. It's been a pretty consistently competitive division the last 10 years. But what, I don't think you need to make a change there. But what would your thoughts be about shaking up the North and the East? The NFL can't even figure out what it catches. I mean, we're going to trust them to figure out a real lot of divisions now and it makes sense? No. I mean, on theory, there's so many ideas and, and and suggestions for the NFL to improve the game, and they're still having refs missing blatant calls that would send teams to a title game. I mean, at this point, under Roger Goodell, you should not expect or hold your breath for the NFL to make any meaningful changes. The one good thing he's did in his tenure was install the rookie salary cap. That's it. I mean, other than that, there's been no improvements in the game. It's gotten worse. So I would be on board with it because right now the cities don't make really a lot of sense in the divisions. That's why the Colts in the East made more sense back in the day. But, you know, the NFL being what it is, I just I have no faith in them to get anything correct. I'm a guy that believes in not changing good things like with as it relates to football, the NFL. I mean, change should come slow in terms Mm -hmm. of foundational changes. And this would be a foundational change. I mean, you really would be shaking things up. So just because the Patriots have have established a trend of dominance, I don't think you shake up the divisions because it could have collateral effects that you could not foresee into the future. So I'm of the agreement. I'm with you on that. Like, And even if you, you could come around to the idea of doing that, can you bet that the NFL would get it right? You know, I think the NFL should, under Roger Goodell and the competition committee, I really think they should take some cues from the CFL and make certain plays on – penalties reviewable or challengeable excuse me by the coaches so and the idea i floated out again a few episodes back was you give each team one opportunity in each game to throw a flag but it has to either be in the waning moments of the second quarter so like seven minutes and below the second and seven minutes and below in the fourth quarter so that if there is a game changing penalty that was a poor judgment call or lack thereof it doesn't completely derail a team unjustifiably like we saw from the Saints. I think there's a way to do that. 
The NFL and Goodell should take their cues from the NBA and Adam Silver as to how to approach the NFL socially and all their problems. The NFL is the worst-run organization of all the major sports. And like I said, I have no faith in them getting it right. The only way I see the divisions being sh- shaken up is if there's an international team like the the London team or a Mexico City team. But right now, I think status quo and like you said, to fix what's not broken and to really uproot the game, that would require so many logistical changes. And I just feel Roger Goodell would be a little too much for him to, to you know, to bite off. You got any more questions in the mailbag? Should we wrap it up? Uh, I got one more from John Presley. He wants to know who should the Broncos go after in free agency and uh, who would be the best fit for the Broncos. I'll just uh, say that they're going to shore up a lot of their needs before the draft. They're going to pretty much leave quarterback to uh, the draft, and they're going to get corner squared away, offensive line, secondary. So keep an eye on a lot of the Bears free agents. Like I said, it's a little too soon in the process to know which teams are going to keep their players. But Bryce Callahan, Adrian Amos from the Bears, Eric Kuss, the lineman there, they're going to go after a lot of their needs, look for the Broncos to be very, very active in free agency, but don't expect them to go after a quarterback. Also keep an eye on C.J. Mosley and whether or not the Ravens come to an accord with him. That would be a great fit. Um, also keep an eye on Landon Collins as a possibility, but just like Mosley, he could end up re-signing before free agency officially opens. And then the wild card that just got thrown in is the Philadelphia Eagles are franchise tagging Nick Foles because they believe they can trade him. So I don't think the Broncos are going to be in on that, Zach, mm-hmm. because of their uh, commitment to Keenum financially and what they're basically tied down to. If Case Keenum was not owed $7 million dollars, guaranteed in 2019 i could see the broncos making a push to trade for a nick Foles, give up like a third round pick which is what the eagles think they can get for him and then still draft a quarterback high and let Foles come in and compete you know keep the keep the wheels rolling so to speak and groom a young guy I, I just it's a lateral move to me to trade for Foles, give up a third round draft pick pay him a huge amount of money and then either trade keenum or cut him and what do you do for the future? Kind of in the same boat. So the Broncos need to stay away from Foles. Do it the right way. You have Keenum on the roster. You're already paying him. He already knows the system. Draft a young quarterback. Let him learn under him. And let the process play out naturally. I don't see Foles coming to Denver. I think he'll be in Jacksonville. And I think he'll – I'll say this. Out of the Eagles system, I think you'll see a much, much different Nick Foles. Yeah. The Broncos need to do it the hard way, you guys. And grabbing another – mercenary quarterbacks just not going to get them over the hump again there is no such thing as a free agent franchise quarterback and peyton manning proves the rules so that's going to do it though for today's episode of the huddle up podcast we'll be back on thursday in the meantime you can look forward to building the broncos on wednesday i'm sure they'll have some good draft stuff for you so stay tuned for that make sure you're following the show though you guys at Huddle Up Pod on Twitter. Get engaged in this process. Be a part of the show. Find Zach on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. We love the engagement. We do love talking to you guys. If you are a Huddle Up Podcast listener and you are following me or you follow me, let me know you're a Huddle Up Podcast listener and I will follow you back. Make sure you let me know in the mentions. But in the meantime, guys, make sure you're subscribing. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going. When you earn your degree online at Arizona State University, you get everything the nation's most innovative university has to offer. The same internationally recognized faculty, the same nationally ranked programs, the same degree. 
Learn more at asuonline.asu.edu.